So tell them, I, I was reading tech meme. I was reading. Do people read tech meme? I was looking at the tech meme. You scan through homepage. tech meme. Yeah. Do you read tech meme? At the just like reading office. the internet. Yeah. But uh, so I was scanning tech meme and I thought that it was, I was looking at the three top articles on tech meme. Did we introduce the episode? Did you do like, hey, it's Katie? Did we do that? No. Why do we have to do that? I mean, if people listen regularly, they know who we are. But you know I what? Know. Let's do it. Just do I'm, it. Just do it. I'm Katie. I'm Tom. This is Dead Cat. Welcome. This is an Eric Newcomerless episode. He's on vacation. Um, it's Katie and I holding down the fort. Barely. Yeah. Barely. It's, it's the two elder statesmen of the podcast. And yet I feel like we get admonished by Eric uh, for times that we are, it's just us. Mommy newcomer. You know, so uh, Tom is holding on by a thread. He needs a vacation. I'm Badly. technically on vacation, but I'm working every day. So here we are. Yeah, and um, I I was scanning the top of Tech Meme like mm-hmm. you do. Um, I don't think you read it; you just scan it. And I, yeah. I noticed the top three articles. One, the first, the number one article is about self-driving cars. The number two is about Uber, and the number three is about a down round. So I I I like this because it's so similar to when I was covering tech. I felt what right year at home. Is it? Exactly. It's very 2017, and so I like the familiarity. But clearly, it seems to me, just from scanning TechMeme, the, arguably the most important um, website in yes. TechMeme, <laughs> <laughs> the, the tech seems somewhat to be in a rut. So, Tom, as somebody who's covering this day to day, why is this happening? It's, it's very strange. It's very strange. I think, first of all, we have to say any sort of slow news cycle has to be caveated with the fact that it is the Oh, it's summer. July. It's July. <laughs> no one really wants to work. I know this on a daily basis. And yet we do. Uh, And so the sort of flow of news gets extremely weird. I think the analogy, I mean, this is across all, you know, all all beats, all all, all sections of the paper. But the analogy to me is always like, remember network TV during the summer used to be just like, just weird shit. Like, you know, the the shows, we get to their season finale in May. And then like the next week, it'd be like, here's a weird ass game show that Mm -hmm. we couldn't ever get put on the air except during the summer. Like here's a bear eating a thousand hot dogs. Or like Trapper John MD. Oh, like yeah. A show okay. that I think was made only to be run in syndicate. But by and large, weird shit happens during the summer. And so the news cycle gets strange and slow. So I do want to say up front that that is definitely something to consider. But I think there's something larger at play here. I think we are dealing with part of the tech cycle writ large, like the multi-year cycle that has reached some sort of a trough a stasis, a, a moment of disillusionment, and I don't know, just stuck, stuckedness. We just feel like we're, we're, like the cursor is just sort of spinning, and we don't really know if like the program is operating in the background. But we keep staring at the cursor, being like, "Is something going to load? Is anything? Is anything going to happen here?" And I think the stories that you mentioned, and just generally my experience on the beat, talking to people right now, we are in a very, very interesting. And in my opinion, of the like, what has it been now, like eight fucking years that I've been on this beat, a, a kind of unrecognizable part of the cycle. And I see what's happening in the news. It feels like, first of all, there's no it's tech. It's no longer fun. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely no new ideas. I mean, just look at these stories. Self-driving cars. Right. Uber. Down rounds. Right. This, I, it, so it, not only are the, is the news the same, the news is usually the news is the same because 
the activities are the same. Right. <laughs> and so what's going on with ideas in tech and then what's going on with money. So like no one's really having any fun. No one's creating any new ideas. And yeah. certainly there's something going on with the money. The so money yeah, is maybe, changing. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a good idea to take each one of these stories one by one. I remember I started covering tech at the information with Amir Afradi, uh, Mr. Self-Driving Car. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Self-Driving Car himself. Yeah. Uh, my favorite person uh, that we did work uncomfortably close. He insisted on the standing desk. I had a seated desk and I'll just say positionally, it wasn't it wasn't um it wasn't ideal for Not me. Not recommended. OSHA <laughs> probably would have a good case against the entire office layout of early days information. It was really it was really tight. I'll put it yeah. that way. But um but I remember when we were talking about those stories, the self-driving car, this was in twenty 2014, 2015, the self-driving car was going to be upon us in 2022-ish, I think. Oh, for sure. If not before. Self-driving car was here. Flying car was going to be further away. The self-driving car was within reach. And so this is not only an article about the self-driving car, but about how the self-driving car is definitely not happening, at least for Apple. Right. And if if it's not happening for Apple, I mean, Apple's willing to spend more time and more money. They're willing to use better parts. They're willing to use like um, more effective, but slash more more expensive technology. If it's not happening for Apple, I I would dare posit it's probably not happening for others. So is this you know what what is happening with this story? Definitely thematically fits with that. So so the tech meme headline. <laughs> we're really given our 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 time airtime to tech meme here, which tech meme is is sponsoring this episode. Yeah, thanks, Gabe. <laughs> so so yeah, the tech meme headline is report details Apple's eight year struggle to build a self driving car as twenty people who worked on the project cite constant shifting goals and more. Uh, and then this is a summation, a distillation of a story that was in the information by my former colleague, Wayne Ma, who is really getting deep into all the kind of failed initiatives inside Apple these days. Uh, he earlier had a story about uh, their AR efforts and why those have also just been completely uninspiring and shitty. So, yeah, the story basically is explaining over the years, why they are one of the many companies that have spent billions and billions of dollars on this thing that just won't do anything close to what it needs to do in order for it to be ready for you or me to take it. And I think this is like a perfect explanation, encapsulation of of where tech is with its most ambitious and interesting products right now, right? Look, there's no question a self-driving car would actually be transformative. Right. I mean, that's actually, first of all, for companies like Uber, it would give them like a real business model because uh, they would, they would like, ha- you know. <laughs> transformative. <laughs> okay. Continue. We'll, I, I'll think about transformative, maybe like patchily transformative, transformative for some. Okay. Continue. I, I'm, I'm willing to debate that point, but at least okay. would be pretty okay. cool. The idea of like a robot <laughs> car that would drive around and not kill people, which seems cool. to be a problem for at least mm. Uber. And then mm-hmm. the Apple car is detailed in the story to have almost hit a jogger, mm. but before a human stopped it from doing that. You know, it's just, it's just not there. I just see them at this stage now where they need something new in order to consider themselves an innovative technology company. They can probably, I mean, you covered Apple, Katie, so you maybe have some, I don't know, distant memories of this, but they could probably like lean on the profits of making everyone buy a new iPhone every 18 months for a while. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of becoming a software company. You have to pay yeah. them every month for your, your data space. You have to pay them every month for your iTunes or for your Apple Music or for your Apple TV. They're running a subscription software company, and I think that's where they're going to get a lot of their growth. 
But to your point, they would like to have a new product Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily an iPhone. And I wonder at what point they kill the car. You know, that they're just like, listen, this idea, this is a dry well. We are, yeah. we are, we are pumping a dry well. And it would be, yeah, I know. I just like, they, they probably will at some point, right? There's no way that this thing is going to be street ready for regular people in the next decade or so. I just don't, And, and there is always this it. argument that it will inevitably happen. It must happen. And mm-hmm. it, first of all, I don't know that it must happen. Like, I think that people, human beings can drive cars and they do it pr- pretty well. And the other issue is that when robots drive the cars, humans are much warier about the statistics around accidents. So right now, obviously, there's human error and there are car accidents galore because of human error. And we've kind of accepted that. Mm-hmm. But I think that we that there's something about the robots taking over. We don't want there to be accidents. We're much less forgiving about that margin of error. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, so the number even of though, people that get hit by humans is un like Lot. it's unacceptable really like through, through the roof right now like yeah. in washington dc it's pretty pretty uh, yeah. pretty terrible um statistically it's gone up thank you pandemic but at the same time you know is it really an inevitability do we need to have self-driving cars is that something that must happen even if i buy the argument that it will mm-hmm. by the time it happens what else will be going on in the world? What other new technology will have happened that makes it just feel a little bit less exciting? If, if, and that's a very optimistic case too, because it it says that there could be really new, big, fresh ideas in tech, and I don't really see those happening so much. And and again, like business model wise, for a company like Uber, which spends you know eighty percent of every fare or so on paying you know, drivers, fucking human beings that carry out the, the task and work. The, the, you know, the, the robo-taxi idea is very interesting to them. Like for them, it is kind of existential, debatably existential. For Apple, it's not, right? It's just a thing. It's just like, well, we need to be at the forefront of what we think a new technology is. So I guess we have this money that we should spend on cars. Right. And what is the new technology? Like that's the, that's the other question. Like what are we, what are we lacking right now? Mm-hmm. The technology is going to help us with. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. I can think of numerous things in medicine alone, but it seems like VC money over the last few years was really pouring into. How did somebody put this to me the other day? Um, maybe it was you, Tom. Uh, things that make life marginally better for people with a lot of money. Oh, I think that was me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Do you that like was being quoted back to yourself? Yeah. Just like, you're like that... Bruno Kirby in When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> I was waiting I wrote, to hear if it sounded smart before I took credit for it. <laughs> I wrote that line. It it pleases me. <laughs> yeah. But I think AR is a better example of of something yeah. that Apple really, really wants to have happen because that, you know, that does sound like a new platform to right. them that is like a new way to experience the world, which is what Apple's always trying to claim their tech can do. Right. And I think it sucks. I think everything that these companies have been investing in for the for the time being, right now it's really shitty. Uh, it's nowhere close to the promise. And actually, this this information story I thought had a great line in it. I hadn't heard before, but they were because they, what they've managed to do, what Apple has managed to do, is train some of their uh, self driving cars to perform really well in closed circuits that can go on fixed routes. So it's not really right. dealing with like real time human activity, but you can kind of get it on a course to do stuff. <laughs> Which is what you need in a self-driving car, yeah. real-time human activity. <laughs> yeah. And, and and the term they used was demoware. Yes, yes, I said that. I love that. Yeah, and that's that's what it is, right? I mean, and that's well, that's what AR is. And I, I, you know, I've bitched about this constantly on the show that like 
these companies are really good at getting groups of reporters to go down to their offices and give them demos of these products that at the time they write really glowing reviews about. And then nothing ever comes of it because they can't do anything outside of the presentation that they gave to credulous reporters in the moment that they gave it to them. Well, I think also the problem is, is that, you know, you could argue that a lot of the technology, especially around on-demand and other, you know, especially around on-demand like Uber, are things that made life better mm-hmm. or that made you feel like you enjoyed existing in the world more. You could even say that of some social media, you went out to go on hikes and to go to weddings so you could share these pictures, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, I think it's hard to make the argument that for most people, particularly those with a disposable income that technology companies want to target, that living in AR is better than living in real life. Right. And so even if it was the most amazing AR ever, if all it did is make you feel like you were doing the thing you could do if you walked out your door and people are like, oh, but you could go to the Louvre and you could never do that in real life. I'm sorry, but the audience of people that tech companies actually want to target who have disposable income, they probably could get to an art museum right. if, if they really wanted to. And right. they probably would enjoy it a little bit more in person because then you can go to the cafeteria after and get an ice cream and talk about the thing you just saw. And I, I, and I think that that is one of the big problems with AR. It's just not going to make, even if it is so, so good, it won't be better than real life. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like, yes, a new platform, but a bit of a waste of time. Right, right. I thought you actually, it was, yeah, let me quote you back to you, Katie. Uh, in an earlier episode. <laughs> this is a very onanistic show. Yeah, what, what are we going to do? <laughs> Who would have thought that when Eric's not here, it gets even more self-congratulatory? <laughs> so uh, I think you were talking about how, like, the, you know, the people that are spending millions and billions of dollars creating the metaverse, which, by the way, that's not a thing we've talked about in a couple of months. Whatever happened to the metaverse? No one's really pitching the metaverse. Uh, not at the top of tech meme, uh, I think. Uh, you know, these are rich people that are spending their money going on ski trips in, you know, whatever. They're going hell skiing, yeah. Yeah, they're, go, they're, they're in Vail. They're in the Alps or what's left of the snow in the Alps. I mean, they're not spending time in the metaverse pretending that it's fun to like virtually enjoy a a concert. They're getting like backstage passes to the concert. Yeah. And so there is definitely a mismatch between what, you know, the people at the top of the business world think the rest of us losers will enjoy and what they're doing and what they claim is going to be the future when in fact it's not a future that they seem all that particularly interested in. In participating in whatsoever. (laughs) So, so then the other one on the list, do you want to move on down to Uber? I, mean, I think we, we have to address this like Uber story thing, the yeah. Uber files. I don't think, I, I really don't want to belabor it for a variety of reasons, including the fact that I don't have time to read the entirety of it. You haven't but read I, all 125,000 documents? <laughs> but I did, I did notice that a lot of the things that I'm seeing in these stories, I feel like I've somewhat read right. before. Right. And that the, the, the no, I mean, you can argue that some of these things have been reported before and they're not necessarily new. You could argue that it doesn't matter because having the documents to stand them up is important. Putting that debate aside, what you're looking at is a company that was growing really fast and was really interesting several years ago. And yeah. we're looking at the things that happened when it was growing really fast and was really interesting several years ago, which right. says to me that like Uber's not really as interesting today. And that sort of that cohort of companies, it makes me wonder, are they, have they all kind of topped out and nothing has really replaced them? If what we're doing is reading about, you know, the, the sort of mascot of the era of Mm -hmm. tech, but just, you know, what was happening five years ago. Right. 
Right. It's like it, as the news cycle is slow and both because of the season and just like where we are in like the broader tech cycle, it's like the, the universe is trying to like pull out greatest hits from the time where tech was more interesting. And so it's like, all right, uh, self-driving, is this anything for you? Okay, no. Okay. Uh, how about Uber scandal? Uber, Uber like, scandal was so hot in 2017. Right? It's like, oh, is there a new Uber scandal? No. Mm-mm. It's the old Uber scandals. Ooh, and you're like, oh, yeah, you mean the stories that every news outlet was writing about endlessly in 2017? They're like, yeah, it's those. You're like, Even the same cast of characters. Yeah, it's like, what you know, what is Travis doing these days? Well, he's got a, you know, he's I mean, got a PR person and defending himself. It's like, okay. <laughs> these days he might be era. complying with the law. So let's go back to when he wasn't. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, I will say I don't want to spend too much time on Uber specifically because we are going to have an episode about it in several weeks, a newcomer. But if we do, Eric is going to be really upset. Yeah, yeah. He did allow us to talk (laughs) about it, but I I think we're going to... In only a limited fashion. (laughs) Yeah. So without going into too many of the specifics of it, I I, I will say again, I think it's funny that these stories do not seem like they have caught the world by storm. I don't know. I mean, like, they've been in all these newsletters. They're at the top of tech beam. Like, I, I don't know. We're catching the world by storm. It's hard. It's, it's hard. hard. You have to do such extreme things now. Ransack yeah. a major government building. You got to do a lot of things. It's really, ca- you know, it's like capturing people's attention is very difficult these days. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm mean, like, I see right now as we record this, like on the Washington Post, it's the front of this, you know, it's the top of the top news story. They have, they really blew it out there. Totally. They were one of the news outlets that worked with. Um, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists to analyze the documents. And, you know, they're they're trying to make a big thing out of it. And, and they've had a couple of interesting stories. How weird is it the leaker has already come forward and the story is like not even a day old? Like, don't, don't, don't whistleblowers want mystique anymore? What happened? I thought that the cycle, the way it works, like the rollout work is that you do the big couple of stories and then you get everyone so juiced about, you're like, who is this person? Who is this guy? Who is this, you know, and then on the last day, it's like the big reveal and it's like, oh, it's someone that we don't know, but maybe they'll be famous now. Right. They're really speeding up the cycle. It seems like things are going a little too fast, right? Just kind of a tech innovation. (laughs) That's a tech innovation. Yeah. What if we reveal the leaker on day one and then everyone moves on? (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know what the strategy is there. It seems like a mistake to me. We really don't want to draw this out anymore. We really want people to digest this as soon as possible, take out all the mystery so they can move on with their lives by Tuesday. So yeah. It's Mark McGann. <laughs> yeah, Mark McGann, everyone. We are getting closer, by the way, to, I don't know if we've discussed this on this show, but like we've collected quite a few whistleblowers over the last few years that I would watch that reality show of like Whistleblower House. Where oh, we just... kind of like the real world, the mm-hmm. original MTV's real world. Where we put them all in a, an apartment together in New York City. We mm-hmm. get a West Village townhouse. And they start to get real. <laughs> I don't think it could be in New York because of Snowden. So we'd have to do it in Russia. Oh, oh yeah. That's real seems like world a bad Moscow. Time. Real world Moscow. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you get you get Snowden, <laughs> you get Francis Haugen, <laughs> you get Mark McGann. <laughs> I think the other like I don't think Chelsea I Manning mean, may- would be maybe a good idea. Maybe Snowden and Manning are just from a different era. Maybe it's really just McGann. <laughs> not to be amused with Don McGann, Mark McGann. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not your McGann. <laughs> Um, Francis Haugen, and they can just be on an island together somewhere, um, talking crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe uh, they, we pair it with Survivor. They have to actually um, hunt their own, hunt their own, hunt down their own meals. Mm-hmm. 
create potable water. Yeah, or like I wonder if they end up just blowing whistle on each other the whole time and like oh, keep like informing the producers of like all well, the misdeeds that the others are doing. While isn't that what reality TV is? Right. There's no so, question the drama would he, be extreme. He's so good at it. Yeah. They'd both be survivors I, for sure. <laughs> I worry people are going to take the wrong message for this, that we do not value whistleblowers as reporters. No, we absolutely I, value We do. I, I genuinely think that they are heroes. I, I do. This, this is more of a conversation about like whistleblowing and fame, I think. And if you yeah. want to really be the most famous whistleblower, you have to combine it with the pop culture phenomenon that has created more fame for more everyday people, which is reality television. Right. I mean, they, one of these people could become president if they're on reality TV. I mean, right, this that's is true. Like, You're this is like a really game. powerful medium. Right, exactly. Yeah. So. And I think we've talked on this show about how whistleblowers are, and I don't mean, again, I don't mean to be cynical about it, but it is another version of being an influencer, right? Especially when you're and coming I, forward. I, I, oh, that made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, I... Yeah, I get. I feel kind of bad as we're making fun of these people from a <laughs> celebrity perspective. I do think their act no, is incredibly not making, heroic. Not making fun of them, we are making fun of the circle of life that has been created around the act of whistleblowing. Yeah, <laughs> did not yeah. exist, and, and the life that exists beyond just the story, right? That they is really kind of like, isn't it really sort of somewhat of like a twenty twenty eighteen post twenty eighteen phenomenon? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was like up until. Up until the Ukraine whistleblower phenomenon, I don't think people like blowing the whistle then jumped in front of the camera. Like, I think that's, I think it's different, right? Well, I mean, Snowden is the obvious one. Oh, yeah, shit. Right. I mean, he, and, and that he was a big documentary. reveal. Yeah. And that was a big reveal. And he'd work closely with, you know, Greenwald and Laura yeah. Poitras. My favorite part of the documentary is when he's hiding under the blankets on his computer. Uh-huh. That's like, that was an incredibly know. claustrophobic documentary. Just imagining yeah. all the time that they spent in that hotel room together, knowing that if they ever went downstairs, it could be a fucking nightmare. Uh, yeah. I'm still like slightly anxious thinking about all of those cameras and Snowden just sitting in that room together, like waiting for the story to go up. That was a great documentary. That was yeah. really in some ways like the high wattermark of, of so many things. But yes. um, without naming names of many, many ter- people. Well, no, I'm not even talking about the the people involved just like sort of the high watermark of like mm-hmm. um people trusting journalists right people feeling like uh you know big reveals like that led to change mm-hmm. uh, led to change in government you know feeling of accountability but don't you think also the revelations themselves eroded people's trust in government to a point that it just felt like any sort of repair of the system was beyond the scope of well, that's an interesting question i hadn't really thought of it that way you know, because I feel like we were, we we're just at this moment of maximum, like, give us your data. Everyone wants to share data. And I, I've always thought of it as Snowden, like, you know, his, his, the information he shared having sort of this dual consequence, dual set of consequences, one being, okay, there's something wrong with government that needs to be addressed. But the other being, oh, and by the way, do you as a consumer just want to like throw your data out willy nilly? Like, should there be some seatbelt on that? And I think it sort of put the brakes on on tech companies that were really pushing this idea. This very Mark Zuckerberg idea that um, human beings would soon like not really want privacy or care about it at all mm-hmm. ever, ever right. again. And so I felt like I've always thought about it through that lens. I've never really thought about it was the sort of like the postmodern project of destroying faith in institutions. I don't think it's the intent. But maybe, but right. maybe, yeah, but maybe that was just sort of like one of the, one of the knock-on effects. Right. And I mean, like when you're pulling back the screen that much and you really see how rotting the system that you're 
whistleblowing on has become, you kind of wonder, I mean, I think they come at it from a good place, which is like, this can be repaired. And like, you know, Frances Hogan's, her perspective supposedly was that she's like, so long, like Facebook can be fixed if we get rid of Mark Zuckerberg and he's the problem here. Right. You know, whatever. That is what it is. But, you know, I think as these people are coming forward and leaking the documents, they think like they're improving the the place that they worked at or the country they live in or something like that. And it just seems like the effect has mostly been people read the stories, they're rightly horrified by it. And they're like, man, it seems like everything fucking sucks. It seems like everything's <laughs> broken, isn't it? That's too bad. And, and is that just the zeitgeist, right? right. How, much, how much can really be done about that? <laughs> right. And, and that's so like to the Uber thing, maybe to finish that up, like that's kind of especially when you're leaking documents about a period that is long past for a company who is at a kind of weak point as a business, you know, like they're not really at a position of strength. And we knew a lot of the revelations. It's really hard to know what to make of any of these things. It's like company that many people had already decided was bad is still bad or was bad. Was. (laughs) Was bad. Right. Well, that's, yeah. Anyway, we, we should save the deep Oh yeah, we're, we're we're heading too deep into newcomer territory. We got to move yeah. on to down rounds, which also, yeah. I mean, that's very newcomer adjacent too. So we'll have to tread carefully. But I, I don't mind. I don't mind. So yeah, that's the <laughs> other thing on there. Um, his his decision well, to make take when a vacation Eric beats you down with a wire hanger. Um, right. I'm I'm just gonna say I told you so. Cause of death talking about down rounds <laughs> on a podcast. That's so fucking sad. But, but uh, so yeah. Re- <laughs> you were talking about Klarna, uh, the fintech company. Klarna. I mean, it, 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 but please no, Klarna. Klarna is just a placeholder for any company. But continue. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Down rounds are you know. So, so definitely Klarna, no one's heard of Klarna. Well, I mean, you know, people in uh, where is it? Sweden, I think. Um, it was like once Sweden's or Europe's most valuable uh, privately. Uh, I think just fintech company, um, mm-hmm. private fintech company. You know, they they, they raise eight hundred million. It's a down round, um, a major, major down round. They were at forty-six billion June twenty twenty-one. Now down to six point seven billion. I mean, that's pretty shocking. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. As yeah. a, as as like shocking uh, down rounds go, I am going to put them up in in a in a top ten. <laughs> yeah, list it seems somewhere. like someone maybe lost some money on that forty-six billion dollar uh, valuation. Just the employees. But, don't worry. Yeah, right. No one important uh, as far as the investors are concerned, <laughs> but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, Sequoia, which is like the doomsday prophesizer of the Valley, put out a presentation uh, a couple months ago, basically saying, you know, get ready for the bad times again. They love doing that. They're famous yeah, for the R.I.P. Yeah. Good Times presentation of, of And then the times got really good. So maybe it was R.I.P. Good Times because we're going to go into great times. Right, exactly. Yeah, they, <laughs> you didn't dot, dot, dot. They, no, one, no one read the whole way through the presentation. You guys all got sad. <laughs> you only we're read about the first to, slide. Right. We're about to completely fuck up the San Francisco real estate market. <laughs> This and crypto like, boom is going to be pretty good. Yeah. And then you're going to buy a house in Portugal. <laughs> yeah, right. RIP good times. The great times is we're going to have a Trader Joe's on Market Street. Say goodbye to the good times. Yeah, they are so they are so ripped, <laughs> those, those <laughs> good times. But I mean, like, it's a reality from covering this space. You know, every company has been given the very firm directive that they have to make money, which is sad. <laughs> It's sad because that's not the initial directive is not to make money; it's to grow. Different right. thing, right? So it's, it's yeah. always a surprise, I think, to the companies when somebody 
from outside says, okay, we take it back. You actually mm-hmm. have to make money. Yeah. And I think maybe that more than anything is what has caused people to, you know, if there is like a lassitude or like moroseness about the tech world these days, I do think like that the business models have to become rational is really fucking depressing because <sighs> making money isn't fun. People have been doing that for hundreds of years and they never seem to have fun doing it. Yeah. So this is where like the dearth of joy, the dearth of ideas and the dearth of money all kind of come together in one neat package. Yeah. Yeah. Like and a, we don't know, like we talked about that with Rick Heitzman um, a couple months back, like, you know, from the VC perspective, they're having, a, you know, they, they've got to tell their companies, some of you are going to die and we're not going to save you. And that's not very fun. That doesn't sound like a moonshot. No. But it's also like, I, th- I think the reason why we're not getting the um, sort of big downturn that Sequoia had predicted and and um, was warning people about is also the reality that none of these companies, not none, that still very few of these companies, even from like the 2015, 2016 boom, have gone public. And so mm-hmm. as long as they're all privately held, the good times end when the private investors won't play ball anymore. And since every company goes out to the market to raise money at different times and they do Mm -hmm. it privately and quietly and hopefully secretly, you don't kind of see that money rush out like it did in the late 90s where public shareholders were like, we are dumping you and we're putting all of our money into bonds or whatever. (laughs) And so it creates this like huge public dramatic rush of funding out of the industry that looks really terrible. Instead, you just see it in these dribs and drabs on a semi-consistent basis, but it doesn't have the same kind of like terrifying oomph. Mm-hmm. So you can still, if you want, I mean, you can still delude yourself and say like the good times are here um, and I'm going to gamble with them. You could say, argue that that's somewhat what the crypto boom was, the post RIP good times presentation crypto boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could argue that maybe that's what it was. Um, but yes, so also I think that things like these down rounds are kind of symbolic of the fact that these companies did not go public. And probably that's a good thing. I yeah, think. absolutely. Creates right? some like, stability. Yeah. And, and probably best not to be public and tank the economy writ large. <sighs> yeah. I mean, when I said that big, that big like uh, collapse that we're all looking for, I don't think we're actually, I mean, that big collapse that we're bracing for, I think would be more accurate. Which, which may be to segue to like the last thing that explains this era and the thing that I am so amazed and amused by that you have followed almost not at all in the last really couple of weeks. Really tried to avoid it. Really is, tried to avoid it. Is Elon. It's my, is it's the, my, I, I'm supposed to be on vacation. I'm working every day. So this is how I am getting a vacation in Tom. Just by not reading about just, the latest just really, bullshit. Yeah. Avoiding Elon. It just, just that has like really, it's, it's, I live in a calmer world. Do you want me to explain to you what happened last Please week? Please do. Please okay. do. Okay. So, on Friday, the hammer finally fell. Um, well, actually, no. Let me, let me back up a little bit. On Thursday, the Washington Post ran a story saying that Elon was no longer engaging with his financial advisors or something involved with the deal and that the deal was in jeopardy. And he was bringing up the fact that he wasn't getting, this is the story, wasn't getting all the data that he felt he needed to prove that Twitter <laughs> doesn't have a bot problem. Which is such a great argument because it's like... It's like if I said to you, Tom, I want data on your secret second child. And you're like, but I don't have a secret second child. And I was like, Tom, we're not doing this deal until I get data on your secret second child and your secret second wife. And right. You're like, but I don't have a secret second wife. Well, this deal's over. I right. mean, that's, sort of, well, that's the beauty of this. 
you know, I, 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 I love it so much. It goes so many layers, yet you don't want to read about it. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but it goes so many layers deep because if you can recall at the origins of the deal, one of Elon's promises in becoming the owner of Twitter is that he was going to fix the bot problem. Absolutely. And so he's basically just been looking for an out when it was clear that he overpaid for a company as the market collapsed and Tesla stock collapsed. And I'm assuming he was close to getting margin called on the loans that he was taking out uh, against his Tesla shares. Uh, so it was looking like a worse and worse deal. Everyone was kind of, I don't know, wondering how he was going to, how are you going to wriggle out of this one? And then on Friday, He's like, he, I'll, I'll, pretty simple. I, that's what I do. I'm the, I'm the wriggle out of things guy. <laughs> You used to think of me as the innovation guy, but now I'm just the wriggle out of shit guy, which is also very cool. We're out of ideas, yes. out of money. So we will get just... to that. We will get to that because uh, that is very true. I think that is a perfect encapsulation of our maybe our country um, at this point. But so so Friday, he files a letter with or his lawyers. Um, he fires a letter with the SEC saying, deals off. I no longer want to be the Twitter owner. Um, because, be, because, of nope. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the bots, um, is the bots that are the problem. I really want to make a t-shirt that says, I no longer want to be the Twitter owner. Yeah. I mean, he <laughs> would do it. He would wear it. <laughs> Cause it's just, I mean, that's all of us kind of, right? Yeah. Well, I don't want to be the Twitter user, but I'm required to be. <laughs> um, did you read the story about the reporter that says they don't read the news anymore? Oh, I haven't. It's funny enough. I haven't read that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. Th enough said on that one. <laughs> uh, so, so Elon said, <laughs> we'll, "We'll reel it back in." <laughs> that made yeah. me really happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, continue. Sorry. Okay. So Elon says he he he's backing out of the deal. Couple hours later, um, Brett Taylor, who is the chairman of Twitter, tweets out, "We at Twitter think you are full of shit, and we will sue you to make sure that the deal uh, goes through all the way." Uh, citing, "There's this what is it called specific performance clause in the contract, which basically means that they can see you in chancery court." Elon, <laughs> is this an example of the coarsening of the discourse? Oh, don't like it. Continue. Yeah, no, you don't want chairmen's talking about chancery. Things are things are in a bad place as a company when you're having to like call mom at the chancery court to fix things for you. Uh, so anyway, so then Elon, he thinks he's got a real ace in the hole because of this bots thing. Twitter is going to take him to court. They've lawyered up. Uh, Elon has got Skadden Arps uh, on his side and Twitter has got, I don't remember, some other, you know. Locked Hill Lipton, I think. It's a real battle of the white shoe law firms. Right. But I guess the question throughout all of this is this really overlong, tired episode just keeps dragging on. Is it why are we, and I guess I, I, I you're talking about this episode. This episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, continue. Sorry. Yeah. Why, why are we, why do we care about this? Well, but, but it is like, I, as an, as an emblem, there's nothing better than Twitter. It was this, it, there, Twitter was supposed to, um, World peace was going to flow from it. Peace in the Middle East, specifically, I think. Mm -hmm. There was going to be democracy in China. They caused the going Arab to be, Spring. There is going to be payback for the lunatics who murdered, you know, who murdered half the staff of Charlie Hebdo. Twitter was this huge um, phenomenon. It was a part. It was going to be part of the State Department. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like it was just. Um, so this was like the most high flying part of the 
of the tech boom and like the social media boom was in so many ways Twitter. And now it's like, nobody wants to own it. Not it's even a this shit l- company. Not even this total no one wants lunatic. To r- not even, oh, no one wants to run it. Mm-mm. Nobody wants to run it. People are going to go to court over who, <laughs> who has to have it. Yeah. We're, going, we're going to fight you <laughs> to not have this. Yeah. It's the most depressing, like family court trial of all time. <laughs> And, and then you have Elon Musk. It should probably be like a divorce settlement where like Elon oh, owns Twitter. Like, it's supposed to end up on family feud. <laughs> no, 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 no. It should be like a divorce court thing. Like Elon owns Twitter on like oh, weekends and like every third week of the month, Wednesdays. Holidays. Yeah, ho- holidays. It gets like a month, you know, a month a year and like one of Elon's <gasps> compounds. And then like, you know, Twitter's board owns it the rest of the time and like finds a new husband. Twitter hates being with Elon on holidays because he has to fight for attention with all of his actual children. It's just very bad. That's true. An increasingly crowded and unfriendly household. So, but but what else is beautiful is Twitter was was this defining social media darling of of the big tech era. No options left. And then you have Elon, who was supposed to be the big genius of the industry. He was Tony Stark. He was the cool one. He, he he was the person who was just a font of ideas. Mm-hmm. He's got nothing yeah. except for except for bots. <laughs> except for bots. Right. That's it. Right. That's all he has. Yeah. I love this. It's it it is it is really depressing if you think about it because I I do think like a nation's lonely eyes turned up toward Elon <laughs> as like the innovation factory. You know, like he did the rockets thing, which I always thought was like eighty percent overrated, but at least it's a thing. You know, yeah. like those are pretty cool rockets. It sounds like and the electric cars. Debatable as to like its overall environmental impact, but yes, it's new. That's a new it, thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and it all it all started to feel very rickety to me in terms of what he actually had in store when he was raising the financing for it. And the New York Times and a bunch of other outlets reported like what he was promising for Twitter, and it was so yeah. unrealistic. Yeah. It was like a billion users in three years, and 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 billions in profits, and. Just all the stuff that he had no actual plan for, really, yeah. other than like putting Trump back on Twitter and like, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I don't know, allowing every gruesome image ever to, you know, I mean, he had he had not thought it through. We, we've already right, let the about. beheadings flow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, is this in some ways Robert Denny Jr.'s fault? Because imagine if Tony Stark had been played by somebody less cool, right? Less cool. So if Tony Stark had been played by like the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy, you know? Like, like Chris Pratt? Right, right. Okay, so like a so, Hillsong kind of Christian so, uh, Tony Stark. Would would Elon Musk have gotten that kind of residual glow up? I don't think so. No. I don't think no, so. No, we would have thought he was like a religious zealot. But yeah, or, or, or what if it were like Paul Giamatti, who is cooler <laughs> than Robert Downey Jr., but like maybe closer to the actual... Wow. Know? Yeah, exactly. What if it had been Paul Giamatti playing Tony Stark and not like some Paul Giamatti who's gone to the gym and gotten a personal trainer and does the superhero oh, thing? that'd be so no, weird. but Paul Giamatti circle like that movie about wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sideways yeah. Paul Giamatti. Thank you. Sideways yeah. Paul Giamatti plays Tony Stark. We would not have the Elon problem we have today. All right. Just fucking great. <laughs> yeah, it... it it, he clearly believed in his social or his media representation, his his own celebrity, and the fact that he is constantly being, you know, built up by a legion of hooting sycophants um, on Twitter, who I think maybe he now realized 80% well, of them are bots. Are bots. <laughs> 
Maybe that's why he's so upset. Well, what's also so great is that as Twitter uh, declines as a platform, his sycophants will need a new platform mm-hmm. um, in order to get the word out. And they've already decided that mainstream media is not the place for them. So that's right. not going to happen. Twitter just feels like somewhat of a dying platform. True Social hasn't really gotten off the ground yet. Doesn't seem so like it. Where, where will they go? I don't think they know. I mean, if, that, if anything is the Pamphleteers? theme. Oh, of what? Pamphleteering? Yeah, th- that would be great. Well, that was like, you know, after the electromagnetic pulse like destroys all technology on <laughs> Earth. And then those who were ready for, yeah, it's just, basically. Just Paul Giamatti handing out leaflets. Just Paul, Paul Giamatti is the town crier in every, <laughs> in every city around the country. Uh, I, that would be great. Um, no, I, I think what's what I find so revelatory about this episode not this episode the twitter episode (laughs) (laughs) um is that there is no good outcome here for either party Mm -mm. Mm -mm. nothing good will happen i mean elon will maybe get by having only only to pay like a couple billion dollars twitter will just go on being its sad self as a company and God, Elon it feels will, like such a preview for the Democratic primary. Continue. Yeah, exactly. There's no good outcome and everyone is just, dis, you know, disaffected. Mm-hmm. And we're covering it as the train wreck that it's always been, but also with the realization that there's nothing else there, that it, that it, that it, we've, we've descended purely into spectacle and, you know, entertainment of collapse when the promise of it is so far in the rearview mirror, no one even discusses mm-hmm. it anymore. And because we can't say the thing that is so apparent from this fiasco, which is that, you know, we actually can live without social media. We can not We can kind of just live without it. Like, right. it's not actually that essential. Yeah. And the people that can't live without it are the ones that want it the most and, and are willing to pay for it, but apparently not as much. Basically, I'm saying Elon can't live without social media. <laughs> And, and so he's now stuck, you know, getting too close to the thing that he thought he wanted. I, I think the only positive outcome that I could see with this is that Elon owns it at a lower price. That's the only thing that would be good to me. I, I still want him to own it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know why I want him to own it. So you could be right? One, so I can be right because I said he yeah. was going to. But right. two, because I think it will hasten the unwinding of the Twitter experiment. Mm-hmm. Some experiments I don't want unwound. Like I would love for the democratic experiment that we have engaged in for more than 200 years here in the United States to continue on. That is my deepest wish. But you know the the Twitter experiment. Yeah, I think I think that's okay if that one comes to an end. Yeah, I think it actually might help this the the latter experiment that I was just talking. Yeah, about. clearly we can't exist with both. And I think <laughs> we as a country are having to make the tough decision of what do we want to see persist into the next you know, decade or century, the American democratic experience or social media and Twitter. I, that's a very, that's very binary. We're going to take that one up with Eric. See what he thinks Yeah. after he does a careful check of this episode and edits out any mentions of, of Uber that go too far into newcomer territory. Right. So with that, you know, we're, we'll sign off for this episode um, as the plotting's tech cycle <laughs> continues onward uh newcomer will be back in a couple of weeks we will dive deep into the uber files which maybe people will remember in a couple of weeks maybe they won't maybe people have read in a couple of weeks maybe yeah that's right take, take some time during your vacation to read the uber files check back in with us and we'll have a lot to say about it uh but until then uh thanks katie all right dog days of summer episode part one <laughs> is in the can all right we did it goodbye goodbye Silicon Valley.
Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.